James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of God. Well, good to have you here. My name's Gav. I'm one of the uh, pastors here. Um, if you're new visiting, thanks for coming here. hope you enjoy your time with us here at City Lights. Um, we're going to pray as we look at God's Word again. Let's talk to God. Father, we want to thank you uh, that you speak still today, that you are not removed, you're not distant, you have not forgotten us, and yet, but yet you have come close, and we can hear from you through your Word. We want to ask that whatever emotional state we're in as we come today, uh, whether we're feeling near to you or not, whether we know you or we don't, that you would speak to us afresh, anew this afternoon. Thank you that you are here in our gathering. You promised to be here when your church gathers. And thank you that you are here this afternoon. And help us to hear your voice. I want to pray that any distractions or worries that are on our minds or our hearts, that you would just help them to be moved aside and we would sit at your feet and listen to our King. Lord, your word is what revives our soul. It is sweeter than honey, giving joy to the heart. We want to pray that that would be our experience of your word this afternoon, that you would speak again. So Lord, use me as your servant. Help us not to hear my voice, but your voice. And help me to speak only what you want me to say, only what is true. Lord, thank you for this afternoon. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, words, words matter. It's how primarily as humans we communicate with each other. Words have the capacity to bring joy and happiness, and relief, and laughter, and fulfillment, but they also have the capacity to bring hurt and pain, and they can cause damage. We are, words can bring wounds that last for years and years, and they can shape how we view ourselves and the world around us for a long time. Words are powerful, they deeply affect us, and they count, and they matter. A number of years ago, uh, I was uh, working as a youth pastor with Jez at a church. We would run Friday nights together, a youth group, which was a lot of fun. Had a bunch of teenagers, had a bunch of um, youth group leaders that were great as well. And uh, we'd gather together on a Friday night with all these teenagers and have like a sort of youth sort of church, youth service. 
And uh, yeah, during that time, we had a bunch of youth leaders that we loved, and we want to try and grow them up as future leaders as well. So we'd always, often give them a chance to be at the front, leading things, giving talks, all that sort of stuff. I remember one week we had uh, this one youth group leader that all the kids loved. We, we loved him as well. Uh, was a great personality, uh, great at the front, comfortable. And so we, uh, we'd give him a few chances at the front, leading and speaking. Anyway, one of these, one of these Friday nights, this guy was at the front, and he was, had to read the Bible for us. And uh, the, Bible, the Bible passage that he was to be, to be read had the words sexual immorality in it. Now, that's never hard, that's never easy saying to teenagers, is it? But, you know, that's what, we must have been a bit of a hospital past. Anyway, that's what he had to read for us. Now, sexual immorality, when it comes to the Bible, means a surrendering of sexual purity. The Bible's clear that sexual relations are for marriage. Um, and so, uh, 1 Corinthians 6 says, flee from it. So, this youth leader had to read this passage. Anyway, this youth leader gets to the front, starts reading the Bible, and gets the words sexual immorality, and instead says the words sexual immortality. <laughs> and, you think, and, uh, and I didn't want to think of what sexual immortality even is, right? Like, my mind's not even going to go there for a second. Let's go back to this. Uh, but, uh, and it caused a lot of laughter. One small word can change the whole meaning of a phrase, can't it? Um, uh, but words, words matter, and so they are powerful and they matter. And as I said, they have the capacity to bring joy. You can hear the words like congratulations, or you've made it, or you've passed, or you've been accepted, or doing a great job, or I love you, or, or an encouraging word. And they are also powerful, and they, these words bring feelings and emotions to our soul. Uh, you know, you think of words that are said for, for, a, for a marriage ceremony, the words, I will, with these, these words, I will, a couple is bound together till death through them part in the eyes of God. God communicates us, to us with His words. He spoke the, uh, the creation into being through His powerful word. Words are powerful. But they can also cause harm and be destructive, and words can leave scars and wounds that, that shape us for a long time. Words like, I hate you. You're a failure. You'll never amount to anything. You aren't good enough. Uh, you aren't good at anything. Why can't you do better? Why can't you be more like them? All these phrases are powerful and have much capacity to hurt and to destroy people. And so many of us let words that have been spoken against us or in our lives, we let them define us and shape how we see ourselves. And no matter how many nice good words are spoken against that, for some reason, these words, these, these, these negative words cut deep in our souls. You think of bullying or online bullying, words that are hateful and harmful and destructive, and it leads to trauma and harm and pain for many years to come. I wonder if you remember this, this phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Just read the screen. <laughs> right, you got it. Thank you. Names will never hurt me, right? What a lie this is. What a lie this phrase is. That's not true. It's not true. If you've experienced this, it's not true, right? Uh, in high school, I was bullied and I was teased for being overweight. And I wish I'd, I would have rather the sticks and stones rather than the words. I remember at high school being told that I wasn't intelligent enough to do anything and I should just give up or I shouldn't, won't amount to much at all. And these words, of course, pained me over a number of years, trying to let go of these words that were spoken against me. And again, I would have much rather the physical pain of sticks and stones than these names. Words are powerful and they can cause destruction. And I want to say also that words are revealing. Our words reveal what we are like deep down. I want to say that words that we speak 
are a window into our soul. They show what we're like. We speak out of it. Sigmund Freud believed there's a grain of truth in every joke. We often joke around and say something in jest, but I think it often reveals something about us in the way we joke. Our words reveal. Now, we have, we are, now if we understand all these things, we, we want to figure out, well, maybe we should say nothing at all. right? But what do we do with this? I wonder if you know that uh, one-fifth of your life will be spent talking. One-fifth. Maybe a bit more for some of us who talk a lot. Uh, but, but on average, we, all, we are constantly talking to ourselves, to others, face-to-face, social media, email, text, phone, whatever. We talk a lot. We talk a lot. Constantly communicating our thoughts to other people. With one-fifth of our life spent with our mouth open, that's a lot of opportunity to bless or to curse someone to build up or to hurt. So in the end, it's no surprise that God would have something to say about how we spend a fifth of our lives. And the book of James, chapter 3, is all about how we use our words, what we speak of and how we, and how we use our tongue. And if you've been here at all for this series, uh, the book of James, James is a very practical, no-nonsense sort of guy. He is pretty hard-hitting with what he says. And so we're going to hear this today in the book of James, he doesn't hold back. Let's have a closer look and hear what our good God says to us through James chapter 3. Three observations I'm going to try and help you to navigate where we're going in this passage. They are words are powerful and destructive. Words are uncontrollable and revealing and they are in need of renewal as we walk through James 3 together. And James is going to show us what the tongue is like. James, back in chapter 1, 26, uh, said, said this, already almost setting us up saying, if anyone thinks he is religious or does not, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceive his heart, this person's religion is worthless. James wants to put out here at the front uh, to his readers uh, that the authentic mark of a Christian uh, uh, behavior is the control of speech, control of tongue. And, he's gonna, and in chapter 3, he's going to really narrow in on this. But to control your tongue, he wants to argue, is that you need to know what the power of it is, what it's like, uh, what it does. And so he's going to really give us a tongue examination, in a sense, through chapter 3. And first, he's going to show its power and its destructive nature. But we really begin here in sentence 1, the Jezreel chorus, of James starting with a warning, as he often does, right at the gates. Chapter, uh, uh, sorry, chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach, we judge with greater strictness. There's a warning here, James starts with that word, and especially with teachers and people at the front who have a platform to speak, to be careful with taking on that platform in case uh, you'll be judged more harsh because your words have power over people. You have a greater capacity to damage with your words in the church context. Uh, teachers and people at the front, their words have the power to either convey the truth or obscure it or deny it. And God's saying, I will hold you more accountable for what you say at the front of church as for leaders and pastors and teachers. And I think this shows how much God loves His church and how much He wants His church to be built on truth, which I think is a great thing. And just as a sort of sidestep to talk about teachers and uh, pastors and elders, I just want to uphold the the teachers and pastors and elders here at City Light. Um, we have a pretty rigorous application when it comes to appointing leaders in the church. And uh, I want to commend to you again, uphold the current leaders in this church. Uh, we have uh, me and Jez. I'm not holding up us. So that's a bit weird, isn't it? No, it's not us. But I think Rob, Rob and Chris and, and uh, Rob and Chris and Cam, 
who lead this church, they do a lot of stuff that no one sees behind the scenes and spend many, many hours. And I want to say, these are guys worth listening to who have wisdom and think hard about their words. So I just want to publicly thank those guys again. And Cam, who's here today, um, uh, that, what a great job they do. Uh, but James then moves on to this important issue that's not only for teachers, but for the church. And that's around, around keeping the tongue under control. Look at sentences, uh, sentence two with me as I read it. It says this. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, also able to bridle, to bridle uh, his whole body. Now, James, this seems weird, uh, perfect person. James is not talking hypothetical here uh, about someone who is never at fault, but rather someone who doesn't stumble in what they say. Uh, we get this from the context of the chapter of James 3. Uh, they're not perfect. Uh, the way James uses the word perfect here is similar to how he does in chapter 1, Perfect meaning mature and complete rather than a sinless, perfect person. Uh, that's what he's saying here. So he's saying, he's almost reiterating his point as he made in chapter 126 that the mark of a, Christian, of a genuine Christian faith is someone who keeps a tight rein on what they say, what they speak of, how they use their tongue and how they control it as the tongue, he says, keeps the whole body in check. And James will show us how the tongue is powerful and has effect over our whole Lives. It'll unpack this in a minute. But he wants us to show what we're up against. He wants us to show the power of the tongue. Have a look at sentences three to five with me here. It says this. It says, if we put bits into the mouths of horse, horses so they obey us, we guide their whole body as well. Look at ships also, he says. They are also so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also is it, as it is, the tongue is a small member, yet boasts of great things. James, I love how James speaks here. He's getting his illustrations for us, a lot of the illustrations, to show us what he really means. And he's saying here, when he's horses and ships. And horses are huge, powerful animals uh, with, with great strength and hard to tame. But he's saying here that to tame this huge animal, all it's needed is a small bit. You put a small bit in a horse's mouth, which then is attached to the reins, and you can steer and control a, a giant horse with a small bit of metal. Same thing with a ship, right? A ship is, a, is, is, is huge, and what controls a ship is a tiny rudder. Have a look at this ship. This is a, a, the USS Eisenhower, which is a massive ship. It's like a floating city. It is that big. It is huge. Now, what controls this ship here is this tiny rudder tiny, small rudder, which is just one-tenth of one percent of the overall uh, ship's size. That small rudder directs and steers this whole giant ship. And James's point here is the same with the tongue, the same thing. So small, yet so powerful, and it can make great boasts. The tongue, apparently, is less than half of a percent of our body weight, yet like a bit or a rudder, it's so small, it has an enormous impact. It's able to determine the very course of our life, James says. I'm sure chances are you can think of things uh, that you have said in your life that have changed the course of your life for better or for worse. If you stop and thought about it. Saying yes or no to a job. Yes or no to a relationship. Yes or no to getting married. Yes or no to studying that degree. Yes or no to that destructive behavior. You make choices every single day. And what we say, what we, what we do, affects the course of our life. And James is saying that's what our tongue does. The tongue is powerful. Words matter, and they have an effect on our lives 
and the lives of others. And James is saying we have a powerful weapon we need to wield well and think about its power if we're going to know how to use it. And James's concern as you read this is that we don't know how to use it well. We don't know how to control our tongue and thus we use it for destructive behaviors. And he turns from the tongue being like a rudder or, from a, a, or a bit to a forest fire, to a spark that ignites a forest fire. Um, look at this, uh, 5 and 6, warning of the destruction the tongue can bring. It says this, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the course of life, and set on fire by hell itself. Like, whoa, okay, James, we get it, right? He, he is going at it here. He is really showing us what the tongue is like. If you stop and think about it, what a bushfire is like for a second, which is not hard for us in Australia. It can cause devastation. It spreads so quickly. But James says, think about how that huge fire starts. It starts from a small, tiny spark, a fire that roars through thousands of acres, causing destruction and, and chaos and ruining homes and even taking lives. It started by a small, tiny spark, and that spark can wipe out a whole region. And James is saying that is how our words can have an effect. The tongue is like a fire, a word of evil, he says. Our tongues are capable of that, our words and James wants us to know the power of our words and the destruction that they can cause on others. I heard a story uh, just this week. Uh, it was about a youth pastor who gathered his youth group together and said, we're going to do a youth group activity. Meet me here at this certain time, and uh, I'll show you. And they came, and they gathered together. And uh, he, as each, each youth group kid came, he gave each teenager a pillow, a pillow full of feathers, and then he said, we're going to go on top of this building up here. I'm going to overlook the sporting field, the playing field. We're going to go up the top there and carry your pillows with you. And so they all did and got to the top, not sure what was going to happen next. And he got, they got to the top. They're all standing in line. They could look down over and see, like, you know, the, big, the field and a few other things as well. And he said, now get these pillows and rip them apart. Just tear them apart. Let all the feathers go. Just let them go. Shake them all out as much as you can. Let's just make this happen. And so the kids must be buzzing. This is the best thing in the world. What I want an activity, right? So they're tearing their pillows and it's flop. The feathers are going everywhere. It's this white to the sky and feathers are everywhere, flying around. And it would have been a great sight to see feathers everywhere as they uh, had a great time doing this. Uh, and if, after a few minutes, uh, the feathers would have settled on the ground, some on the, on, the, on the playing field, some on the road, some in the trees. There's been feathers everywhere. After the kids had finished, the youth pastor turned to them and said, now, go and pick up all the feathers. Go and get all of them. Um, and then he said, well, this is what it's like when you gossip. It's a few minutes of fun, but it takes a lifetime to clean up. What a good youth pastor. I wish I would have tried that. That is a brilliant uh, working illustration. But his, but his point is that, right, what James is saying, it is powerful. Our words are powerful. They cause damage and hurt and pain. We can say things off the cuff, off the hip. But they can cause destruction because words matter. And James says the tongue has capacity for evil like no other body part. And it stains and corrupts the whole body. And our words affect ourselves and affect the lives of others. Think about our words and the damage they can bring. You know, a harsh word to a friend or a colleague or a spouse or a parent, cutting someone down with quick wit 
or gossiping about someone you don't like, a white lie here, or exaggerating a story there, speaking harshly about someone behind their back, firing off a text message in anger, an email, posting about something you shouldn't. And all these things can seem harmless at the time, but James warns of the untold damage that our words can cause. And I'm sure you've experienced it. Our words matter. Think about careers that have toppled, relationships that have fallen apart, conflicts that have started, wounds that have been just just cut deep to you or to others through a careless word generated from your tongue. They are powerful and destructive. And I wonder if we were to grab all the words that you said from this week, got a recording of them, and had to listen to them. I wonder what would characterize your, your, your words this week or the way you used your tongue. Would it be words of discouragement or, or slander or exaggeration or criticism or threatening? Or would there be words of encouragement and love and affirmation and grace and care? I wonder if you can remember the last time you purposely, intentionally went to someone to give them a word of encouragement, to build them up, tell them how much they mean to you, or what you like about them or love about them. Words are powerful. And James warns that the capacity for destruction. But if you know this book at all, we know that James is not finished yet. He's going to push further. And he wants us to show us a problem that we all face when it comes to our tongues and the power that they have. He wants to show us they are uncontrollable and they reveal our hearts. Have a look at sentences 7 and 8 with me. He says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human, he says, no human being contained the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And again, he's going to illustrations, which I love. He's, uh, he's saying most animals can be tamed, taught to obey. You know, you even see those crazy stories of people raising lions and tigers as their little pets and that sort of stuff. Even those animals, these wild animals have the capacity to kill, but even with some intense training, these wild animals can be tamed. And James is saying, that's true, but it's also true that the tongue can't be tamed. It's easier to tame a lion than it is your tongue, which is point. And we are reminded by this when someone powerful is brought down by, by a, a word they can't take back or a text or an email they shouldn't have sent. It's easier to tame a wild animal than it is the tongue. And James describes the tongue here, a restless evil, he says, full of deadly poison. And if you've ever been at the end of someone losing it, or you losing it at someone else, you can sort of resonate with this idea of spitting, spitting evil at someone or spitting poison at someone. And James is saying, if you think your speech is something you can sort it yourselves, then James says you're kidding yourself because the tongue will be never something you can conquer in your own strength. And James wants to show why this is such a huge problem. Look at sentences 9 to 12 with me. He says that with it, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Or can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. 
James is saying, see the problem? Verse 9 and 10, he's saying that we, we, we praise God with our tongues and then straight away go and curse people with that same tongue. Those who are made in God's image, those who God loves deeply. He's saying, this, this shouldn't be. This can't be. And James is showing us there's an inconsistency with our tongue. I think he's showing more than that. There's a deeper issue with us, an inconsistency of the heart. And James is saying, this, this can't be. This can't be for followers of Jesus. And again, he uses another illustration. He's saying, fresh and salt water don't come from the same spring. The product always matches the source. A plant can't produce two different kinds of fruit. A fruit will produce what's in line with the tree that it is. So it's the, the issue James is getting at here is that our tongues actually reveal our heart. That's what he's saying. I've heard it said before, I think it's a cool saying, I've heard it said before that you'll never hear a word from the mouth of a drunk that was not already in their heart when they were sober. Really, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. The tongue reveals what's in our heart. Um, I've, I've shared a lot before about playing sport. I love playing sport. Growing up, I was all in a different bunch of sports, and I miss not playing. And I gave up playing sport for a number of reasons. One, a lot of injuries. I just got over physio bills. Um, uh, also, time. Uh, but also, a big reason why I gave up playing competitive sport was because of me and what it revealed about me. I don't know, I play rugby on the weekends and it would be a full, obviously a full contact sport. At the same time, I was, I was in youth ministry on church, in, at church on a Sunday, um, teaching people about Jesus. I go and play rugby for an hour, then I'd go and tackle someone in the field and then I'd start yelling at the referee or I would occasionally square at another player or lash out at the opposition. Same with the cricket when I got out, I get really frustrated and smash my bat to the ground and just poof, throw my things and, you know, kick things around and couldn't handle getting out. Even playing netball recently. Yes, I play netball. <laughs> this morning I said playing netball, everyone just laughed. Anyway, I played netball and I'm playing goal defense. And I'm playing, you know, I'm 6'3 or 6'4 and my arm's six, three foot so I can stand like that, right? And I remember, I remember defending like a five foot nothing lady having, having a shot at a goal and I remember she shot and I just blocked her so bad. And in my head I thought, take that short stuff. Like, you know, I just, <laughs> and I'm like, what is happening to my soul that I think that that big man would do that? And then, you know, another guy would come on the netball court and I'd try and beat the alpha male and, you know, I can smash that guy, you know. And, and I think what would happen was it, that these words that I spoke coming out of my mouth and saying to myself were revealing this deeper issue in my heart of being so competitive about winning and proving to everyone else what a, how good a sport I was and wanting to keep this persona of being this guy who could play any sport and dominate. And my worth was wrapped up in winning. And my words were revealing what was in my heart. And this is James's point. Our tongues reveal what's in our heart. And Jesus says this in Matthew 12, 34 and 35. He says this. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Our problem of the tongue is not a tongue problem. It's a mouth problem. A heart problem, sorry. It's a heart problem. You know, I'm sure you've heard someone say before, after they said something really critical or negative to you, oh, I'm so sorry I didn't mean that. And really, they did mean it. Uh, it's just revealed what's in their heart, and now they're embarrassed, they've been exposed. And what they should have said is, please, please forgive me for saying what I meant. I think, I think often what we say 
in disagreements to other people often shows more about our own hearts than theirs. Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. The tongue reveals what's going on inside us, the window to our soul, and it's our spirit and our window to our spiritual health. And James warns followers here that this cannot be okay with followers of Jesus who come and praise God on a Sunday, lift their hands and say, how great is Jesus, and then, uh, and then uh, go out and curse people and put others down. He says, these things cannot be so. This is not the way to live at a genuine faith. And we know the battle. You, know, you can leave here now on a Sunday and drive home and someone cuts you off or driving too slow and you get the window and beat the horn and give them the finger at the window, right? <laughs> who hasn't done that? No, but you know, really, like, we do that or we go to MC. And then we, we go after MC in the next day and we, are, we, we curse, we rip on people but who we work with who are lazy and who don't work hard enough. We bitch about our workmates with our boss behind their backs. And, and James is saying, this, is, this can't be so. This can't be so. Yeah, I wonder if we were to stop and to listen to the warning here from James and think about what do our, what do our words reveal about our soul? I've been super confronted by this this week. What are my words that I say often in frustration to my kids or to my wife? What do they reveal about my soul? My entitled soul. And do my words match what I say I believe? Do my words match who I say I follow? And this is an uncomfortable truth to sit with, but James is trying to get us to look deep down in our, our soul and think, where are we at? It's going on under the surface. And I wonder if you had to stop, and I gave you some time to reflect, if you were to sort of um, uh, put, put a word on uh, how you've used your words this week, would you describe them as encouraging and optimistic and grace-fueled and gentle and compassionate? Or would they be more pessimistic and critical and negative or harsh or fearful? Words you've ever said to others or words that you say to yourself? Because our words reveal what's in our heart. And the solution of taming the tongue, of living in a real faith, is actually a heart issue. But here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing about being a follower of Jesus. Here's the cool thing about the gospel. The gospel says this, that we are all sinful. That we've all fallen short of the glory of God and we experience that in our day-to-day life. We live in a broken world. And we feel that. We feel it in our soul. We feel it out here as well. We rebelled against our good, loving Father and Creator. But God in His mercy has sent His one and only Son to rescue mission, Jesus, who came down to rescue us and to save us from sin, death, and judgment. And Jesus dies on the cross in our place as our substitute. Out of His great love, He dies the death we deserve. And He faces the full wrath of God in our place so we don't have to. And because of His death, Our sin has been paid for, past, present, future. We are free from guilt and shame and consequence. We are free. We are free people. Jesus rises from the dead, defeating our death, defeating death for once and for all. And for those who trust in Jesus, eternity, heaven is our home, and that is sure and guaranteed. And now, in light of that, because of Jesus' death, we have a real, living, active, daily relationship with God through the Son and in the Holy Spirit. This is a relationship we are crying out for and we were made for. Life to the full, we've been adopted into God's family with full rights as heirs, as children who are loved forever. That is who we are, and that is now what we are, we, our experience of followers of Jesus. And if you sit here and say, oh, I get that, no, you don't. 
We will spend till it, we will spend till Jesus returns unpacking and experiencing what this means. There is that is the greatest truth you will ever hear. That is something not to be content with. This is all ours as a free gift of the love of Christ. Also, we are given a new heart in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, a great passage which speaks of God talking about giving his people a new heart and a new spirit. He says, they will know me and they can obey me. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you're here today, you are a forever loved child of God. You're an heir of all things. You are known by God and you have a new heart and you are a new creation, as 2 Corinthians 5 says. And his love changes everything. Yeah, as a follower of Jesus, we will wrestle and, uh, with sin and the presence of sin until we see Jesus face to face. We are no longer slaves to sin. The power of sin over our lives has been dealt with once and for all in Christ. Praise God. We are no longer slaves to it. We can obey God out of His grace, in His strength, in the Spirit. And here's how this relates to taming the tongue. This is how it relates I want to say that wholesome words of love and grace flow out of a heart that is ruled by the love of God that is found in Jesus. As we heard today, you speak out of the heart. The way that we will have a real faith and how it shows itself in our tongue comes from a heart that is satisfied in God's love, that is sure of God's amazing grace. I don't know about you, but when I am joyful in the Lord, when I am satisfied in Him, when I am firm in my identity as a child of God, it is so hard for me to speak words of criticism and negativity to the world or to myself. Each of us, I want to encourage, each of us needs to be inflamed with the love of God and His kingdom with hearts full of gratitude so that we will speak as agents of His boundless, transforming love to others. On our own, our own strength, we cannot control our tongues. We need a love that transforms our hearts and thus transforms our tongues. We need daily reminding of his transforming love shown in Jesus. We need to let our hearts rejoice and find our identities in being these children. Children who are satisfied in all that we have in Christ. Overflowing love that flows over out of our mouths to our world around us and to ourselves. I want to finish with one last quote from the author and writer Paul Tripp who speaks on this stuff. And he says this, The gospel promises nothing less than a new heart one that is no longer enslaved to the passions and desires of sinful nature. And with, that, and with that new heart comes good treasure from which better words come. Uh, if, if you're sitting here and you've been convicted like I have from this, God has spoken to you through the book of James here, and you want freedom from your own critical voice, your own critical negative self-talk, you feel, con you feel convicted about the words you speak, I want to encourage you to just run to Jesus. Forgiveness is there. Every day is a new day. Every day is a do-over with Him. Remind yourself of how much God loves you as you are as a new creation and you have a new heart and a new spirit. Don't move on from that love. Rather, build your whole life upon it and know there is grace and mercy as we are a work in progress for us. Live in light of that truth and that truth transforms our hearts and our tongues. Let me pray for us. Father, you are good, your gospel is true, and we want to pray that we would just not know this truth, but you would make it go down deep and we would believe it with all our being. Lord, we wrestle so hard 
about what we believe and what we live our lives in light of, and we struggle with worries of the world and our own emotional state. Father, we're going to pray for just healing over us, that you would, you would restore our hearts, give our hearts a new, a new vision to see how much we are loved by you, how much we live in light of the cross, how much, Jesus, you have done everything for us, and we are children and we are heirs of all things, that our best days are yet to come. We want to hold on to this hope as an anchor for our soul. That when words of criticism or negativity come from ourselves to ourselves, our inner voice speaks these words. We want to pray, Lord, that we would run to you for answers to your word that is truth and speak against this. We want to pray for a heart that is so satisfied in you, so secure in your love, so sure of who you are, that we be people who just speak words of your grace, of your joy to those around us. But we want to be free from criticism from our tongue or negativity. Often we say things out of an insecurity that is in us. Lord, help us to be sure of our identity in Christ and speak out of that place. We all battle with this, Lord. We want to thank you so much that you have freed us from this and help us to believe these truths and run to you daily to remind ourselves of this great hope in Jesus. Thank you for your truth, Lord. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.